Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Michigan Avenue Media and the World of Ink Network. This podcast was founded in 2011 by Marsha Casper Cook and Virginia Grenier. Their focus has always been on helping writers reach their dreams by having informative and entertaining shows. You will also hear the latest information on what's new and exciting in the publishing and marketing industry. And the shows will also cover discussions on screenwriting, audiobooks and movies. New to the shows will be the latest style and trends in fashion, as well as nutrition and how Pinterest can add just the right spark of attention you may need for your projects. So, sit back and relax and enjoy the show. You can find out more information about our shows and being a guest at www.michiganavenuemedia.com. Hi, everybody. It's Marsha Cook, and uh, we got a great show today. And uh, Jeff has been on, our guest, Jeff Fleischer. He is um, was on before the election, and now he's going to be on after the election. So I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. And uh, before I forget, tomorrow I'm on Fran Lewis's show at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, and it's always a great show. She's a great reviewer, and it's always fun to be on her show. And um, then... I have a show next week, but um, we'll continue on the shows. I think Thanksgiving will be one that we that we, we will not be on. Uh, don't think many people are doing a lot of things on Thanksgiving, and uh, because of COVID, and we've talked about this a lot on the shows. And so I'm just uh, have a few messages. Please wear a mask. We're congratulating Joe Biden, which I did yesterday, and. Um, We're going to be, I'm sure this country is going to get back to where it should be in a matter of time. You know, it's going to be not easy, and everybody knows I was in a medical background for 20 years. This is hard, but we will do this. But please wear masks. This will help. And uh, we're going to talk about what happened with the election, because it happened, the election. And now, Jeff, how are you? (laughs) There's a lot to talk about. A lot has happened in like eight or nine days. So we'll try to encapsulate it and fit it in. It's just a plenty. And um, tell everybody a little bit about what you do. I could say one thing. Jeff has been doing this his entire adult life. That's why he's on the show today. Besides writing a couple books of this uh, and going and speaking and talking, you know, when he can now because of the pandemic. But I've known him in his adult life. And he's been my editor and he's always been involved in politics, and so it's just a natural thing in his life to move on and write books on it. So that's why today, here's the expert to know what happened. <laughs> Jeff, it's all yours. Hi, how are you? Um, so for those who don't know me, my most recent book is called Votes of Confidence, The Young Person's Guide to American Elections, and this is the second edition of it. So I published a version in 2016, um, then published a new edition in 2020 that updated a lot of the information, and then presumably we'll hopefully do another edition in 2024 and keep doing one every four years. Uh, but I was a political reporter for a long time. So I didn't work in politics as a political reporter. I, I covered politics as a reporter uh, for newspapers and magazines um, going back really since I was in college. So was, you know, I kept thinking one of these years we'll have a normal election. That'll be a, a, a fairly normal right. one again. And, you know, mm. maybe we will. Like, 
2012 was fairly normal, and hopefully we get back to something more normal like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll hope. We'll hope. Okay, so within the time that you were on, and uh, a lot happened before the election, and now a lot is happening after the election. And so, where would you like to start? I mean, I, there's just really so many questions that people have. So, explain how this happened and what happened with the results. That I mean, that's like everybody's on their mind. How did this happen? That's a big question. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. how? Sort of about what was the other yeah. election? Yeah. There, yeah. So, talking about president specifically, there are a few trends that really came up. One trend we saw a lot of is that Joe Biden performed better than Democrats did up and down the ballot, and Donald Trump performed worse than Republicans did up and down the ballot. So, what it's showing is there was some number of, and we don't know the exact number yet. We will when all the counting's done. And there was a significant number of either Republicans or Republican-leaning independents who crossed over to vote for Joe Biden but still voted for Republicans down the ticket. So if you look at the polling before the election, Republicans did better in the Senate and House than most polls were predicting. And Joe Biden did slightly worse than polls were predicting but still very, very well. I mean, he's flipped Michigan Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, back to the Democratic side, which they had been for many, many years until 2016. Flipped Arizona, probably flipped Georgia. We'll know for sure when that's there's going to be a recount. But he's been he's up a large enough number that the recount's not going to change that election. It may change some of the smaller elections down the ballot that are closer. Um, but he so it's, overall, if you had told a Democratic campaign three years ago this map would look like Joe Biden's did, I think they would be very happy with that. Because he went back to the Clinton map plus flipping additional states. See, see, part of the reason also, you know, it, it was very hard campaigning the way they had to and um, pushing, you know, out for more public events. And that was very difficult. So I think Joe Biden's team seemed to do a great job. So, Explain maybe what you're thinking of how that helped the election because there was a lot going on beyond, you know, behind the scenes of how to get this. It does, you just didn't get an election like this by sitting back. It's a lot of hard work. Well, it is, and it also, I think, in a way, it's kind of amazing what the Biden campaign was able to pull off because they were following the COVID protocols. Right. And while the Trump did not, that meant there were a lot of large Trump rallies that wound up turning into super spreader events, but that were bringing thousands of people together, getting them energized, getting them to turn out. And the Republican Party has a very good get-out-the-vote organization. And they were still doing a lot of registering voters, going door-to-door, getting people involved. And the Democratic Party was not doing that because of COVID. And so in a way, they were starting from a disadvantage. And we will know eventually, as more numbers come in, how much of an impact that had in the House and Senate races. But it shows that yeah. Joe Biden himself was able to overcome that. And some of that is – and also Joe Biden is a really good, what they call a retail campaigner. So some people are particularly good at you know, walking into a restaurant, a coffee shop, a school, and talking to people one-on-one. And that's always yeah. been Biden's trying. Yeah. Maybe the exception of Bill he is the best Democrat currently around at doing that. Yeah. And the, and the yeah. COVID pandemic got away from it, so he wasn't able to do that. Yeah. So in a way, he was kind of being, he was kind of like a boxer fighting with one hand tied behind his back. Yeah. And he was still able to overcome that. Whereas like Trump's strength as a campaigner 
is these big rallies, and he was still able to do that. So he was yeah. not fighting from the same kind of disadvantage. But, you know, it is strange. You know, I mean, there are rules, you know, and that people were not allowed to have a certain amount of people, you know, but it was outside, so I guess there was no rules for that. But, I mean, watching all those rallies, you know, was scary to watch all those people without masks on right next to each other. But it's it, not even that so much. It's hours that they were standing there. It's not just like, you know, you you walk into a store, wherever you're going, you're next to people, but you're they were very packed in. So, I mean, that's very scary to watch that, you know, uh, for for everybody. You know, and now whatever happened with the election we are still facing so many people getting it because it it just goes it it just goes from one to the next you know this is a kind of a virus that doesn't stop and you don't know people are sick so watching them was was very hard and you know even when you're watching people like after you know uh Biden won they're all in the streets but the difference was they were all wearing masks not that it's great to be all together but at least you feel, oh, my God, at least they're wearing masks. And so that makes right. a big difference, you know. And it's, it was hard. You know, the whole thing is hard. So, you know, how do you feel, like, with the states now that are open, do you want to talk a little bit about of what will happen with that and how these, re, you know, the recounts and, you know, there's so much going on in the news. I You know, you don't know which what's more important than the next. So what do you think is the next thing that is important for, you know, so people know how this is really working out and why, you know, for the next, that some of the elections are not, you know, they're going to have to do runoffs. So talk a little bit about what's going to happen next. Yes. When it comes to recounts, there's recounts that are valid and recounts that are not. So anytime an election in most in certain states is within a certain margin, there are state rules that require a recount. So in Georgia, for example, Biden's up by thousands of votes, but because it's still within a certain percentage point, Georgia's going to do a recount as part of their normal process. And that's, and that's how it should be. That's part, of, that's part of the process. There are a couple other states where that may be an automatic recount. Again, we don't know for sure with some of the totals. But like Pennsylvania, which is one Trump keeps wanting to have a recount of, it is not close enough for an automatic recount. Biden's right. up by too big a, a number. So he's trying to sue to get to create one. Yeah. There's a different legitimate ones like Georgia where that's part of the normal process and how it does work. And ones like Pennsylvania right. where he's Trump campaign is trying to create a conspiracy theory where there isn't one to try to you know, force a re so those are kind of different situations. For something like Georgia, it's like I said, it's very unlikely that the result will change because there's Biden's lead is big enough that it's gonna be outside of the number of errors there would be. But there are also, and people talk about the presidential race all the time, but there are, you know, mayors running in Georgia where a couple of votes may make the difference between who the mayor is. There's school boards, there's zoning boards, there's small enough um, elections where a recount might actually make a big difference. So it is right to recount votes. It's one of the results for a little while. And yeah. as far as the runoffs, Georgia, Georgia has a system where but there's Senate races, and this is something that's specific to specific states. Because nobody gets 50%, it goes to a runoff on January 5th. And, like, Louisiana has a similar kind of system. There are a few other states like that. Yeah. But because nobody broke 50%, if you look at there were two Senate races, one was a special election, one was a regular election. So 
Senator Purdue up for normal re-election. He's only being challenged by John Ossoff. And that's for a full six-year term. The other was a special election because Johnny Isaacson had retired for health reasons. Shelley Leffler was appointed to fill out the rest of his term. And she was then now running against um, Reverend Warnock. Yeah. And the next and there were more people running, too. So there was another Republican, uh, Doug Collins, who was running to try to get the Republican nomination from Leffler. And that way, neither of them got a large enough number. So Warnock actually finished first, followed by Leffler. So the two of them are going to have a runoff on January 5th. Because, because both are in the same state on the same day, that basically is going to decide who controls the Senate. Uh, we just today, the Alaska Senate race got called. So Senator Sullivan, the yeah. Republican from Alaska, is re-elected. Right. That just happened today. Yeah. And the Alaska vote total just came through as certified for Trump. Yeah. But we now know it's going to be these two seats to decide the Senate. And it's going to be pretty unlikely that they split. So there may be some people who vote for one of the Republicans and not the other, or one of the Democrats and not the other. But right. probably whichever party probably go with both. Because they're literally on the same day in the same election. You know, I, I, you know, I just think people like, you know, even if you're watching CNN now that then they're starting to go with, you know, in four more years, you know, it's like people are just really exhausted mentally. That's what they say, and I, I think that's true. You know, along with the COVID and the election, I think people, you know, they're trying to plan a life, and mm-hmm. then, and then you're there are so many people that are losing their jobs, and the economy they say isn't as bad as, you know, that people might think it is, but there are so many people have lost their jobs and they don't have any money. And here we are, and they're the people sitting home watching to what's going on and wondering when will they get help. What do you think will happen with that? That's right. As far as help with COVID? Yes. And and the reason they're not work and they're not working and they can't go to their offices or they've, you know, they're on furlough. People are just it, it's so much for people to take and they're and the ones that are sitting at home thinking, all right, let's talk about the election in four years. No, let's talk about us now. Mm-hmm. What do you think the holdup is right now for them? I mean, a big part of it is that President Elect Biden doesn't take office until January twentieth. Right, and the new House and Senate don't until, until the beginning of January, so they'll be in office already a couple of weeks before him. Yeah, but so far, the the House of Representatives has passed many, many COVID relief packages, and the Senate's refused to take them up. So these are so these are things that the House has approved. They've passed it along to the Senate. The Senate has not had a vote on it. So there has been a process that's been going on for the last few months, but nothing's getting approved. And Trump would not be unlikely to sign it. So it would have to be something that would happen pretty quickly early in the Biden administration would be for to work out some kind of deal with either if it's the Republican Senate still controlling Mitch McConnell or somehow both Georgia seats flip to the Democratic side and then it's a 50-50 split. Coming up with some package that the Senate will go along with to get people assistance. And that's anything from like small business loans to um, payments for people to um, help with rent, help with student loans. There's a lot of a lot of things out there. And what form that takes, we don't know yet. So the Biden, uh, incoming um, Biden presidential or transitional team has talked about some of the things they would like to do. So there's a discussion of possibly canceling a lot of student loan debt, um, there's been discuss- which can be done by executive order. Um, there's been some discussion of 
So again, trying to pass like a small business release package, but trying to pass some tax relief for certain kinds of businesses, which is something that you might be able to get some Republican votes for because it involves a tax relief. So the, but basically it would be unlikely that anything's gonna get done prior to the Trump administration leaving office. Yeah. Which you know, which does leave a lot of people, you know, I mean, but there were so many people. I mean, the amount of people that voted, I mean, which is a shocking amount of people. So people are actually wanting to take part in the decision, and they did. They made it, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, because both campaigns were out there, like we said at the beginning, and there were a lot of people that are voting. But now then people sit back, and then when a normal person is sitting there thinking, like, all the money that went out for all the campaigns and everything that they did in the commercials, you know, this is, huh? how, do you think this will ever change with so much money went out? I mean, and it's continual. And then you have people that, you know, could use to have some money and, you know, and they're sitting there struggling. And when they hear huh? millions and billions of dollars being spent, do you think that will ever change where they will not spend that much money? It's incredible how much money went on both campaigns. You know, it's hard to believe that, how much money. That's a lot of money that went out. So what do you think well, about that? that? Well, there's the money the campaign spent. There's also much more money spent by um, like, uh, political action committees and other organizations that are either not affiliated with the campaigns or very loosely affiliated with campaigns. Right. So the, look at the numbers that like Trump and Biden spent, those are actually a very small percent. Or, not a very small. Compared to what everybody gave, the other money, yeah. But it's so, yeah, you know, it, it is mind-boggling when you really think about how much money that is. I mean, right. it's... And if, you look, and if you look at a chart of fundraising, the Biden campaigns have a lot of fundraising in the last two months or so prior to the election. Mm-hmm. But they got kind of record numbers coming in, mostly in small donations. Yeah. So they were getting, I forget, the average, I forget the average number, but it was something in the range of like between 40 and $50 dollars. As the average donation of just lots yeah. of people chipping in a little total number got very big. Yeah. Um, prior to that, he Huge. was fundraising fairly similarly to the Clinton campaign to the Trump campaign. Um, but that's yeah. but those. It's also like those are donations to the campaign. They're not necessarily the same money that would be going to relief packages. No, I know that, but it's just you know when when people right. are sitting home and they hear the numbers. You know, the normal person, I mean, people, you know, this was a, a big election where a lot of people voted, thank goodness, and a lot of people hopefully will vote, continue to vote, that have never voted before. You know, but, you know, these are concerns people have, though. They just, you know, you don't, you you don't, when you just hear all these numbers and you're sitting there, I think people, you know, and all this happening now, it's so important that people vote. So that's why you know, after this election right now, there are people sitting at home and, you know, they're talking about how we voted. We we voted the way, the best that we could in a situation with pandemic, which I think they did a tremendous job. And look at all those people that were sitting there hour after hour. It was quite amazing to watch that. And they were so dedicated. And, and to boot, they had masks on, which also is, you know, that's that's a little confining too. So I mean, they, these people work so hard to, to to say that it was fraud, and they're all feeling they're sitting there. You're watching them. How do you think they can? What do you think they can do for the next time so this won't ever happen again? 
that people will not, you know, I mean, this was a large election. I don't know that we'll get such a large election. Maybe we will because they really vote, they really got a lot more voters than we've ever had. Well, not, not that we've ever had it, that we've had in a long time. Well, totally well we did, right, in a long time. Before. Okay, for the right, in the most part. A long, yeah. long time, they said. You know, but... Um, the, total, the total number is higher because there's just more people in the country. The percentage right. is higher than it's been in about a Right, but it's still a lot of... I mean, it's an enormous amount of people that really voted under trying conditions. And there right. were trying conditions. You know, I mean, there were people that were waiting five hours in line, and that's a lot, you know, but it, it did seem when they were showing the pictures that people were distancing and it was really interesting yeah. to see the fact that people were not fighting with each other that were standing there. They they didn't know if they're Republican, they didn't know if they're Democrats. So I think I'm hopeful that people can get together again and be one country. How How likely is that? And that's, Really, the big question. A lot of that's going to yeah. come down to really the Republican Senate. And right now, one of the problems we're seeing is that you have this Trump campaign, Trump himself, his supporters, coming up with all these lies about voter fraud, which there, for which there's zero evidence. There, yeah. there have right. only, only been a handful of cases, and those cases have all been in Trump's favor. Right. There was one guy in Pennsylvania who tried to vote for his dead mother, but it was literally a guy. And it was in favor of Trump. And I think the average person doesn't necessarily know every vote being counted has Democratic and Republican observers in the room watching it happen. Yes. There are officials from both parties with their eyes on everything that's going on. There is yeah. there is no fraud. Now with Pennsylvania, yeah, I think this is a really important point. I don't think a lot of people may not realize if they don't follow the story. Part of why the Pennsylvania results have taken so long is that the Trump campaign identified early on that Pennsylvania of three Democratic states that had flipped in 2016, which are Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, it figured out early on that Pennsylvania was the state of those three that was doing the best, and it has the most electoral votes. So along with Republicans in Pennsylvania, they changed the rules so that votes that came in by mail in Pennsylvania could not be processed until Election Day. So normally in other states, you're always processing them, and then you start counting them. They're ready to go to be counted on election morning. Instead, the processing couldn't even begin until that day, which is why it's taking so long. So then the Trump campaign went out and told people, you know, mail-in voting is a scam. There's going to be all these state ballots, da 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 all of which were lies, and encouraged their own voters to go in person. Part of why there were long lines in Pennsylvania was this message to Republican voters to not vote by mail and to go the day up, whereas a lot of them could have voted by mail and not taking the risk of COVID. Then they weren't counting votes until, or processing votes until that day that came in by mail. So you, even this entire time as you've been seeing numbers come in, there's a set of votes that have been put aside, which are presumably going to favor President-elect Biden, that came in by mail after a time that day on election day. They were voted on time, they were postmarked on time, but because of a legal challenge from the Trump campaign, they were not counted in that count. So what basically they thought could happen was if they sowed all this um, uncertainty about mail-in ballots, they could potentially challenge Pennsylvania. Now, it turns out that uh, former, our former Vice President, now President Biden's lead is so big that that doesn't actually matter. But they're still going ahead and trying to claim them. 
Right. Well, I think you know. I think it's good that you know that they are doing all this because I mean, because people, when you you know, when you go to vote, you want your vote to be counted. You know, I even know that when my mother was in a nursing home at the end of you know very very short time before she passed years ago, but they voted there. I mean, there are vote. I mean, people vote, okay, if they can. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And they, you know, even it, that was, you know, eight years ago. Well, it's probably, well, it's probably, I don't know how many years already. But they vote, they voted. They, there was for a primary. They brought the machines in for people to vote. So I think that if people, even if they're older or they're in a nursing home or whatever, right now we're in COVID, which is difficult for in a nursing home as it is. But I mean, they they vote. You know, they vote and they want their vote to be counted. I think they even showed on TV there was somebody that was nine months pregnant. She was supposed to deliver the next day, and she wanted to vote. You know, and I'm thinking, like, well, she's standing in line. Why didn't they let her go forward? I mean, she looked like she wasn't going to have her baby right then. But this is how important it is to people. You know, and there's somebody in the chat room that's saying there is zero evidence of voter fraud. Voter fraud. I mean, the the way it is now, we need to not think that there was because people – spent time going to stand in places, and you don't want them to feel that this happened. So I think everything that can be done now to show that there's no fraud is important because it wasn't. Well, and also, right, and also the campaign that's claiming there was fraud has presented no evidence of this. So if, right. there, if there was something wrong, prove it. Like, to have yeah. some evidence yeah. of it. But yeah. What they're trying to do is just sow discord. Yeah. They're trying to, right, right. in the same way, like, I mean, people forget now, I think, that the way Trump entered politics this time around, so he had tried to run for the Reform Party nomination back in 2000 and didn't get very far. But the way he entered politics this time around from being a, TV, a reality star moving into politics was with a racist conspiracy theory about President Obama and all the birtherism lie. And he, was, he kept claiming he was sending lawyers to Hawaii and were finding interesting things. And, of course, nothing ever came of that. There was never anything, none of his lawyers ever found anything. He never presented anything that he claims they found. But it was just so discord to make it seem as to try to delegitimize President Obama, who was elected by massive landslides twice. And so they're trying to do the same thing now to President Biden. And you can't go with a demographic thing against him as easily because he's an older Caucasian man. So now you have to do it a different way. They're trying to do it through this allegation that somehow I shouldn't say allegation because there is no actual case that they're making. But this false claim of voter fraud. So there's somebody, the the same person is in the chat room saying, you know, he was asking if there is no fraud, so why not do the recount and ensure there is none, let the process play out. Well, so in states where it's close enough to trigger an automatic recount, that's going to happen. Like Georgia's going to have a recount. That's normal. That's how it should be. It's following the laws of Georgia. What Trump's trying to do is to force additional recounts just to delegitimize the process and to delay the transition. But by not conceding and fighting, it's more time before Biden can do certain transition tasks and get certain funds released. I mean, anytime there's a new president-elect, there are a lot of jobs that have to be filled. You're talking about a new cabinet. You're talking about new staff through every right. cabinet department. There's things like so the president every day gets what's called the presidential daily briefing which is an explanation of different security situations around the world. And currently, uh, Vice President Biden is not getting that right now. As soon as the, pre- the transition process begins, he'll be getting briefed finding out 
what the current, I mean, obviously he knows a lot from his time in Washington as time as vice president. He'll be getting more information about what um, security agencies are saying today, and he's currently not getting that. So there's a lot of so, yeah, the, the listener on, that's in the chat room is saying, if you are confident there is not voter fraud, then let them recount instead of just stating that any allegation of voter fraud is crazy. Again, if there's any evidence of it, they should present it. Right. Exactly. Right. right. There's the, and there's the evidence of it. So they're just, if there, were, if there were fraud and there were some evidence of that, then of course that should be something we count, we litigate, we see what happens. But that's different than just saying there was fraud because you're saying there was fraud. All right. Do you want to say, do you want to talk a little bit about your books for a second on what your books are and what you know because I think that's important to as to what you've done over the years in your books. What's in the book? So what is in the book to you know because you are very well informed in this. There's no doubt about it, and you've been doing this forever. But when you go to speak and you're at schools and you because you were doing that and you go to different places and unfortunately now you can't go as much as you would have been going. So explain what's in your book because adults also this is not just for younger. It's good. It's wonderful for them because they need to hear some of the history that you give. So what is in your books that adults should read and you know, teens, that's why you go to speak to them. So what's in your books? So the people will, you know. So so it's basically first-time voters, and it's basically a a civics book. So it's explaining how things like what the different branches of government do, how things like electoral college work, how you register to vote, um, how different voting is from state to state. Um, And it's not only about the presidential election. One of the reasons I wrote this specific book was that to the extent there were books about voting, they were very president-focused. And so I also want to talk about how Senate elections happen, how local elections happen, um, how House elections happen, and to talk about the rules for that. Um, and also talk about like, how to get involved themselves, so ways that uh, young people can volunteer, ways that they can run for office themselves. Um, there's a whole section where I go through just some people who are elected to office while they were under 20 um, at the local levels. So it's kind of an overview of the American election system that also talks about governing. Because again, a lot of a lot of things focus on like how you win a presidential election, but not as much about like what do you do once you get elected? What is what's Congress's responsibility, what's the court's responsibility, what's the president's responsibility? See, I think what a lot of us never knew, you know, I, I speak from like people that I've talked to and whatever you know, what we sure. since the pandemic of what I mean, what's happened now with, you know, uh, with all the governors and what they had to do in COVID and how they, you know, interacted with, you know, the federal as to what their funds were and everything, that a lot of times people didn't probably realize how this whole process works. We didn't, you know, we didn't know. We actually, you know, you say, okay, you're voting for a governor, you're voting for this one, but we never had a situation like COVID before to, you know, where you really have to, you see how the governors handled all this. Some handled it great, yeah. some didn't handle it so well, but it's kind of interesting now where that along with, when I'm sure you have discussions, these are things now that we have all learned that we did not actually know as much about. 
you know, you know you're voting like you're saying for president, you know, but then when you're thinking, oh, who's your mayor, who's your governor, you know, and what they really do. But now I think we have an insight as to what they really do and what decisions they can and cannot make. Well, and you've also seen every governor in America under intense pressure in the last year. Yes, yes. And you've seen you've seen some of them from both parties really rise up and perform well. Yes, And some people really perform poorly. Yes. And so like, some, that's like you know, that's example, the, yeah. example from the same party, Dakota's Republican governor, who's been a complete disaster. Who I mean, South Dakota at this point has, well, I'm not sure I get the number right, but I believe that something in the range of, like, right now one of every 1,500 people in South Dakota is hospitalized with COVID. Yeah. Like, it's a massive failure. And then you have Phil mm. Scott, the Republican governor of Vermont, where Vermont is almost, it's, it doesn't, I wouldn't say it has beaten COVID, but COVID there has been so successfully fought that it's a very low risk place where they're not letting people from most other states visit. Yeah. So you're seeing a great range of people perform. And obviously a lot of that also comes down to population. The population complying with orders. It's you know, it's just you know, I mean there you know, uh over this last well since March, you know, a lot of the shows that I've done are a lot different than I've done in the past you know, and all these issues that really matter, you know, that um, it's over the year, you know, I remember even our first show, like in March, you know, and I thought, well, maybe I should cancel it and not talk about it, and maybe we should do this or that, and I decided just let's go ahead with it, and then I had several shows, you know, with teachers on and, you know, lots of different people on talking about COVID, and, you know, and then with the election, with you on, I mean, it's such an, it's all some it's all things that luckily we can all get out there and talk about you know and not fight i you know the person that was in the chat room he had to leave but he was said thank you know he had a it was a very interesting conversation so i think it's good when people are listening you know and this will be on demand and it goes onto itunes because these are the questions that people have and sometimes you watch the news you know and it's so much that people can't watch all the time. So what do you tell for the people out there that are having trouble? Because they are, they want to believe one thing and then they hear another thing. So how would you, what would you suggest for people so they can calm down a little and where to get the best news and try to understand it where they're, you know, where they're not so, people are scared. Where should they go? What should they listen to and how much should they believe? Yeah, Which is your, your best bet is always, your best bet is always French or now online news organizations that have been around forever and are well respected. So we're talking New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Chicago yeah, yeah, yeah. Tribune, Los Angeles Times, Boston Globe, uh, Reuters, the Associated Press, um, Agence France Press, the BBC, places that have been around a long PBS. Um, if you Use television, your best bets are always the networks. Or CNN is easily the best of the cable networks. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, you want to avoid... It's not that you shouldn't watch partisan news. If you want to, you can. But you should be aware of what you're watching. Yeah. And it's it's important to make distinctions even within that world. So, like, if you for people who watch MSNBC, which I also don't do, MSNBC does report accurate information and then gives you partisan spin on that on that accurate information. So they'll tell you actual vote totals, what's going on, and then they'll tell you like why this proves Trump is bad. 
So they're giving you a partisan spin, but the effects yeah. are giving you are facts. Fox doesn't yeah. do that. Fox engages conspiracy theory and lies. But even within Fox, there's a difference between their general news desk and their primetime host. Yeah. The general news desk is closer to something like MSNBC, where it's a partisan spin on actual information. So if you're watching somebody like a Chris Wallace, and he's reporting numbers to you, he's giving you real numbers, and then telling you why he thinks that's good for Trump. Yeah. If you're watching Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson or one of these, Laura Ingram or one of these people, they are just conspiracy theorists. And so there's even within Fox, there's a distinction there that's important. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are getting their news online. If, again, they really have to pay attention to where that's coming from. So things, yeah. you know, they say, like, people's number one place for news is Facebook, but it depends what you're getting on Facebook. Yeah. Or what you're getting yeah. on Facebook. Yeah, oh, definitely. You, <laughs> definitely. And really, you shouldn't be using your social media site as your news source. In the, anyway, it's a great news Absolutely. source for like what your friends, what your family's up to. But if you're right. going to use it, still make sure you see what you're clicking on. You know, if if your feed is curated in such a way that you're seeing a lot of like real news stories from real places, then it's not necessarily bad that you're using Facebook for news. If you're seeing a lot of like addicting info from a liberal perspective, which is a not, not quite a conspiracy site, but a very, very partisan um, faux news site. What I found myself doing myself doing for the first time, I, I was listening to CNN, and then I go into MSNBC. Then I thought, well, okay, I'm going to go in Fox, and I did, and I was listening to them, and then I went on C-SPAN because C-SPAN seemed to put a little bit of everything on. It wasn't yes. that they ignored you know, one or the other. They were just putting everything that was out. So I thought it was kind of interesting because watching all of them, because, you know, and then sometimes I would turn on, if they were talking about the election, I would turn on, you know, ABC or NBC to see all the different types and to see how many were actually coming up with the same. And most of them were. They were, you know, coming up with the same information. But so it does matter where you listen, because Facebook, I've seen on Facebook, uh, a lot of what goes on on Facebook is, you know, I don't subscribe to a lot of the groups, so I'm not in those. But the people that I saw, then some of the things they were putting out were ridiculous. I mean, it's like they're not, I don't even know what, it's not even a true theory. It's nothing. It's just gossip. So I think that if people are looking at Facebook, they're going, oh, look what that one did. or look, You know, it's very gossipy and wrong. It wasn't even things that are really important to what's going on, but they were listening. They're looking at it, and then they're giving opinions uh, from and people are actually looking and they're looking at the comments and people are giving their opinion and it's a comment and they're not commentators there is just people so if that's where people are getting their news you could go like what are you doing here you know because this really isn't a true thing and they're not not the, I don't know everything that's true that's why I'm looking to a station like CNN or you know network naturally like ABC and NBC network they just reported as it is, and they're not on 24 hours a day. But it does matter where you get things. So you're right. I mean, social media, you have to be really careful about what facts you have and don't like something and then go beyond that, and then you'll be on this list that they'll come and send all the things to because that's what happens. You say you look at one thing, and then the next minute you, you get, you know, different emails with people you don't even know they're coming in. You know, so you have to be careful about what you do online. 
It matters. Well, social media, with social media for getting news also, all of social media by design is based off algorithms. Yeah. And so what it does is you read a certain thing, you watch a certain video, you watch it for a long time or all the way to the end, the algorithm feeds you another video like that. And that's not just true of politics. That's true if you're watching, you know, if you watch movie reviews, right, shows, you're going to get right. more movie reviews. Yeah. But the problem with that is if you're watching disinformation or misinformation, it gives you more. And then as you watch more of it, it gives you even more than that. And so you, it creates this bubble for you. So if you're getting good information, you can keep getting more and more good information. But if you're getting bad stuff, it snowballs. Like if, I wish I could remember who did it, but there was a piece not too long ago where they explained how a kind of normal, apolitical teenager became an alt-right white supremacist through algorithm. And he had broken free of this and was talking about what he watched first and then what that led to and what that led to and what that led to. And even just introducing those ideas over time, and it's not like any social media network is thinking they want to radicalize this guy. It's just yeah. the automatic algorithm is correctly predicting, well, if someone watches A, they'll probably watch B. Enough people who liked one liked the other, and so it keeps feeding you more, more information that way. But that's how bubbles get created. Yeah. So, you know, I, this is a, um, you know, uh, now we, so it's now we're in the now what? Okay, now, when the election gets called, can you talk about that, about as far as what happens in December when they certify it? Oh, so in, in December, the Electoral College actually meets and casts their votes. And so when people are, when people are voting, you're technically voting, not for, even though you're voting really in your head for a presidential candidate. For the presidential election, you're actually voting for electors. And electors are people from either party who are um, proportioned based on how the uh, total in the state comes out to then cast the votes for president. And so that's specific to president. That's not true for, like, Senate House um, races. So when they meet, they certify the results. Last yeah. time around, there were a few called faithless electors, which are people who are supposed to vote for someone and vote for somebody else. So there were a couple last time. Um, there were a couple people who were supposed to vote for Clinton who voted for John Kasich, I believe. I forget who switched to who, but there was John Kasich picked up a vote. Um, Mitt Romney picked up a vote. Um, there was Native American activists who picked up a vote. So there are certain people who will break from what they're supposed to do. Some states have a rule you have to vote the way your state voted. Okay. And more and more states. Other states, in theory, you can break with it and you pay some kind of a fine. Um, Yeah, because I think that's, you know, people vote and then they see the numbers of the, you know, they see the numbers of the popular vote. And, you know, it, it does get confusing for people. You know, which is why, you know, when the group that you will you speak to at schools, which I'm sure when you get out there, it's going to be such an interesting conversation wherever you are, because there's probably a lot of questions that the younger kid voters or the new or the new voters will have for the next election. You know, what right. they should do, yeah. what they should be looking for, how they should decide sometimes, you know. And so I think you're when you're out there again, I think it's going to be really fun for you to talk to all these young people to see what they got out of this. 
for next time. I mean, one thing that's nice is that youth turnout was much higher this time. And youth yeah, turnout in 2018 was pretty good. So we're starting yeah. to see more young people in It's great. The other thing is going to be making sure, is making sure it talks about not only about the presidential election, but really about presidential primaries. Because that's where you really see a lot of differences. Yeah. You know, there's a certain number of people who vote for whoever the Democrat is or whoever the Republican is. Yeah. But, help, but being able to decide who the Democrat is or who the Republican is is yeah. really where young people make a bigger difference. I mean, it, it's, you know, I this is, you know, a lot of people, it's a very big <clears throat> learning experience for a lot of us, myself included, you know, which I've learned a ton more than I knew. You know, and naturally, a lot of people were home more because of the COVID, so they were paying attention sure. to politics more than they're, because they, they're not out as much as they were. So I think a lot of people did tune in to different stations or listened on the radio or podcasts, wherever they were getting their news, it, or reading books, listening to the audio books about elections and things like that. So, I mean, it's truly been a growing time for a lot of people. You know, which well, I think we all could use that education. So I do think people have learned a lot of things. And hopefully they'll come away from this for the next time, you know, thinking a little bit more of who they're voting for sometimes. And, you know, as long it really as far as governors and things like that. And the Supreme Court matters a lot. So do you want to talk a little bit about that for people in case they want to know about Supreme Court, how you think that is going to pan out for people? That we should, what we should know about when we're, because a lot of people don't know a lot, a lot about the judges, and and the Supreme Court. That's that's on the ballot a lot of times, so we don't know. Well, Supreme, Supreme Court's not on the ballot. Supreme Court is always no, no, not the Supreme Court, but the other judges right. are. So you know, and a lot of times people, you know, I'll, I talk to someone, they'll go, "Well, I'm not going to vote for anybody at all," so they don't know any of them. So I mean, I don't know. This does not sound right. You know, they just go, they're skipping that part. So what can people do about that to learn more about who they're voting for? Because well, yeah, it that was matters. Nice this year was because, so one thing that was nice this year because, and it's one of the strange side effects of COVID, was that a lot more people voted by mail or requested early absentee ballots. Yeah. And what that allows people to do is you have all of your choices in front of you on a piece of paper. So yeah. it's easy to Google the people who are running for judge and see yeah. you know, what their what their platform says they want to do, what their yeah. what their history says they're gonna and be able to make a more informed decision. Right. Normally standing in that booth, right, standing in the booth and going, Uh oh, what do I do? Right. So for people who didn't prepare in advance before, they just get in the in the booth, they see their ballot, they probably know the presidential candidates, they might know their governor candidates, but right. they may not know who's their best choice of the local water board which is an actual right. office we go around here in Illinois. Yeah. But this way, so you had an opportunity to look them up when you were voting. And you can always do that before you go and make yourself a sheet, a piece of paper of, on this, yeah. on this office. I think that would be good to do for people, right, because, I, you know, the answer not to vote for them isn't a good answer either, you know. Just, I mean, that doesn't, you know. So, I mean, yeah, because, you know, Supreme Court, yes, is different, but, not to even know what judges that you're voting for or, or judges, you know, somebody will say, don't vote for this one, vote for that one. And even even years ago, well, through the last election, there were people out right at the time where you're voting, 
they would have people out. The primaries were like that, where they were, you know, handing brochures out at least to see what they did. But, you know, so I think people are kind of in the dark about that. So it's good that you're giving them information like that. And, right, they could Google it while they're home, right? See, because this is a very different time now, right, that you're home and seeing the voting in front of you. Well, and also you can always do that beforehand. It's just now now because of mail-in ballots, it's easier to do it at the time you were voting. Yes. But you can now fix the Internet. You can look that up before you go. Yeah. Do your research. See who you vote for for local and state offices. See who you want to vote for for judges. And not every state elects judges, but for the states where you do. Right, right. And don't right. bring yourself kind of a cheat sheet when you vote so you know who you want to cast it for, who you don't want to I mean, there is for. so much. there is so much to learn about this and to, so much to do. And I think if the younger people, which, like you, know, like you said, you know, this is a high turnout, which is good, you know, and it's because it is about the young people learning about this. And, you know, and really understanding what they're voting for. And I think for a lot of us, myself included, I have learned an incredible amount in these last several years about things that I, you know, and I'll be truthful, I didn't listen to news as much as I do now. And so I think that it helps to know some of the things that a lot of us didn't know. And that's why when you're starting with your books, talking to people at the age where they need to know, it's really it counts. Well, it's, it matters. Yeah, well, and civic engagement is like anything else, where the earlier it becomes part of your routine, the more likely yeah. you are to keep it up. And so by getting people engaged when they're 18 or even when they're 17 and going to be turning 18 before the next election, yeah, you're starting to build habits that you're more likely to keep the rest of your life versus people who didn't pay attention and suddenly in middle age start paying attention. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and there's a lot of when you talk to teenagers, there's a fair amount of cynicism of, like, why should I participate? It doesn't do anything for me, blah, blah, blah. But, but that's, a self, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Like, one of the reasons policies that benefit retirees tend to do very well is that they vote. So yeah. it's very hard for anyone to try to run on getting rid of Social Security. Yeah. And they know retirees would, would not vote for them. And there's no reason, considering how many people are under 30 right now in America. The 18 to yeah. 30 group is a third of vote, more than a third of voters. So if they start voting on certain issues, it would be harder for politicians of either party not to take things like student loan reform seriously. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I think that you did, and, you know, and it, and that you were always interested in it, and it became very important to you, and enough to have a publisher have you do books for them. So that's a good thing, because this is where it starts. You know, and even I think these little kids now, I really do think a lot of little kids, you know, are trying to learn things, you know, about politics in a, you know, in a small way, but it, if they start when they're young, it will continue on. You know, I think... Um, well, well, yeah, go ahead. So one thing that I try to do in the books, too, is I do a lot of teaching through anecdotes, where instead of just telling you, like, this term means this, I'll give an example from a real campaign. And that makes it more memorable, but it also gives them stories to remember. And I think people learn through stories. And in the past four years, the differences between the parties have been so clear because of the scale of what some of those differences have been. 
sort of things that people can pay attention to and understand. So it's not, I mean, if you watch the 2000 debates between then Vice President Gore and then Governor Bush, there were a lot of discussions about the top marginal tax rate and a 3% difference in the top marginal tax rate. And while that's important, it has implications for a lot of things, it's harder for someone just entering the process to necessarily understand what that's going to do for them. It's easier to understand the kind of big fights that have been happening over the last few years, where they see things like whether or not the Affordable Care Act is going to be in existence, when you have people who now can stay on their parents' insurance until they turn 26, and yeah. if they were to be defeated, they would not have like yeah, it, it matters. It does matter. It matters so much. You know, I mean... Well, and so does the partial tax rate, but it's not as clear. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's is that the big fights of the last four years are very are very easy to understand if you pay attention. They're not yeah. ones you have to really get in the weeds. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. And I look, I think that, you know, any information that, you know, the young people get at an early age is a good thing. You know, because as you know, it's not always easy for younger people to want to, you know, read books and, you know, as much as, you know, it's a very fast-paced world. And, you know, that's why, you know, we t- I have my show for all these years talking about books and authors and whatever, you know, so we're just getting this in. And, and the kids need to be starting at a young age. And you were, I know, at a young age, very, very young. We've talked about that before, learning reading. And these are the things that carry through the rest of your life. It's not just, mm-hmm. you know, when you get to be 50, 60 or whatever, you know it all. You have to start very young to start understanding things. And I do think it's quite interesting watching little kids talk, you know, about politics and how they feel, and they are talking about it. And as they get mm-hmm. in high school, you know, they get to talk about it more. And and most of the time now, I think they, even in the high school kids and in the younger, when because of COVID, they have a lot different lives. Than than you did or I did. Of course. And they'll have to remember a lot of this that happened, and what shouldn't have happened, and what should have happened. And hopefully, you know, Joe Biden, his main goal is first to try to stop. Not you can't stop the COVID, but you can contain it, and hopefully get relief from it. And people will along the way get better and they won't be spreading it as much. This is going to be a very hard thing. But unless we do take care of that, nothing else matters because you can't work the same way. You can't be with your families. You can't do events. You can't go to libraries. You can't do, go to conferences. You can't do any of this. So the number one has to be to try to get people well, yeah, there was a big, which is a really strong a suit for Joe Biden. Yeah, there was a big debate in the spring about the idea of, like, oh, should people deal with COVID first or should they deal with the economy first? And I think one thing that was very successful for Vice President Biden when he was still running in the primaries and even into the general election was you can't solve the economy until you solve COVID because those things are interconnected. And it's good that he was a vice president before. So he's coming into office knowing a lot of the sources and what he needs to do and, you know, who he can, you know, trust and, you know, and this is important and because he, he can start on day one and we need that well, and, on day one. Well, not, not only was he a vice president, but it used to be that vice presidents didn't really do very much. He was a very active yeah. vice president. Yes, so he was, only, very active, right. 
or really like up until Mondale, vice presidents were very rarely involved. Mon- Carter Mondale was the first time where the vice president really got more involved yeah. in the actual work yeah. of the country. And in both Biden and, and Dick Cheney previous to him and Al Gore previous to him, those three were very, very active yeah. in the post presidential ministry. That's, and the wife, you know, and the, the first having a first lady is a huge. Uh, it's wonderful. It's really something that you know they all. You know, usually they take. You know, they talk to the kids, and you know, Jill Jill Biden. I mean, that's what she is good at too. So you need a first lady to make, you know, to show people, you know. To, you know, they show what's happening at the White House, and now we have a vice president who Joe has picked, Joe, you know, has picked as a vice president who also knows a lot. So that's a good thing. So together they will be able to do things. And I think Joe, you know, Vice President Biden will, has picked someone that can help him because he knows what a help he was to President Obama. So he knows what a vice president should do and what could do. So I think this is going to be very good for all people. Whether they go, whether they know it or not yet, I think they'll be very happy with this leadership because we will be on the track of trying to get more jobs beside getting our health back. I think that's important. The you, it's so important. The health. Without the health of this country, we can't get anything done. Well, and it's and like you're saying before, you can't really defeat COVID. But you can contain it, and other countries have done yes. that very successfully. Yeah, no, right. Like New Zealand, right, live contained it very successfully. South, uh, South Korea, Australia, like there are places that have done it. So there are yes. movements we could follow. The problem was because we waited so long to do it, right. the virus got very widespread. So it's going to be a harder challenge for us to contain than it would have been if we had taken it seriously in May and June. And you really don't see yeah, other countries having big rallies like that or, or with all those people together. I mean, that, you know, that's a bad, you know, look at that shouldn't have been done because they, because it spreads so fast. So they go to the neighboring states. You don't know where they all live. If they lived in the area, you know, if they were like in Utah, then they would go. They're not all, maybe they crossed, you know, they came over the state and then they, they go home and they have it and then they give it to someone else. And so it becomes really prevalent in all of these states and right. some of them didn't I mean, the need country. to have it as bad as new york did in chicago and now we're all in chicago is not you know illinois we've had issues now so this is this is what's going well, to be very difficult now i mean new york's was really bad early on because new york chicago seattle yes yeah being international being your and international it could have been better for the other states had they have listened that's the thing. The, the states that got hit early were big urban yeah. or big urban cities. But that's because yeah. people were coming in by plane, and we didn't yet know. I mean, we had heard that there was a virus. We didn't know the extent of it or right. how it was spreading yet. So, cities with big hub airports were the first ones that got hit. But like Washington State was hit very badly, very quickly. And if you yeah. look at it now, Washington has done much better over time. Yeah. It was just it got that massive hit. Where the yeah. state like South Dakota or Montana for a long time was doing okay because there wasn't that kind of travel. And then through spread has has now had been hit really badly. 
Right. And Texas, I mean, Texas is, you know, I mean, listen, you could we could go on and on for all these states that are, you know, getting bad, yeah. get, going to worse, to bad, to better, and we're hoping that, you know, we can contain some of this. I think, you know, and with the proper leadership, I think we can. It's not, it's just you have to, the people that aren't paying attention to what this really is, they need to. And once mm-hmm. people start really listening to what could happen and how to prevent more cases, this is not going to stop. We're not going to just have a wand and wave it. But the fact is, by just doing a few things, by wearing a mask, by you know, carrying the sanitizer with you, those are the things that can help a lot. So if they do that, I think with the election and with everything else, I think we'll be in pretty good shape, hopefully, in the near future soon, you know, for people. Because I think it's very difficult. I think people are so confused right now, and I'm hopeful that what you've said, I think it makes sense to people what happened here. But we're on our way to making this better and getting the election results done, and people can just rest. There's a lot of people very nervous right now. Wouldn't you agree to that right now? Well, as far as COVID goes, it's important to point out, like, Donald Trump actively made it worse. Like, this was a guy who refused to wear a mask, questioned the science, insisted on we should try all these different cures or drugs that don't work, that that after he had it, it's like, oh, you should get... I'm stronger than I was when I was a teenager. You can just bounce back. Yeah, right, right. Then you saw, then you saw the opposite message from someone like Governor Christie, who, by his own admission, had not taken that very seriously, got really sick, was on a ventilator, and then yes. afterward came back with, I thought, a very good um, op-ed piece explaining, you know, I, I took it seriously for a long time. Nothing happened. I didn't take it seriously for a short time, and I was on a ventilator. And he yeah. explained that the idea of, like, Putting a piece of cloth over your face when you go out is yes. so little to ask, but the big reward. Right, and, so and like, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I think right now, but, you know, the discussion is we, the two, you know, having discussion about the election and COVID, it goes hand in hand. For that, for to help this country get back together. Well, and there's been not only has the White House been a super spreader for the last few months. It's also just not doing very much about COVID right now. Yeah. It's not. It's not treating it as a crisis. Yeah. And you see, like, there are. I think there are enough Republicans in the Senate who do take it seriously. That yeah. under a Biden administration, like Mitch McConnell himself, has been good about explaining you have to wear a mask, trying to get other senators to wear masks. And they are wearing things. masks, right? Exactly. They are right. wearing masks. You know, they they may be on Trump's team. But they also are wearing masks. So that's really, it It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat when it comes to the masks and getting rid of COVID. This is, unif- this is for all of us. This is not just Republican or Democrat. This is for everybody. This doesn't matter right. what party you're in. That's the thing. Right. It's, but Trump made it a political thing in a way that I think yes. we can now yes. potentially walk back because there are enough Republicans who don't see it that way in positions of power that when there is a new administration, we can potentially have some bipartisan solutions to this. Yeah. There shouldn't have ever I, been. I think, I think that will, I think the country will soon be able to take a breath and, and see that we can make it and get, you know, and people can get help and people hopefully will not lose their insurance. 
and hopefully, you know, before you know, before the elect, before the inauguration. So I think that there's just a lot of work to be done, and I think if everybody would stick together instead of fighting so much, I think that would help, and that would help the confusion that people feel. And they do; they're very confused, and and then we can all take you know sit back and go we hope everybody gets better because we do everybody that's the main thing nobody wants to watch people sick that's for sure you know we don't want to look at all these hospitals being overloaded you know when we wake up in the morning and turn on cnn and or any station and seeing what's happening now so i think if people can do a little and if everybody does a little then that works out really much better for everybody. So tell everybody what yeah. would you is there anything that we forgot here that you you might want to talk about or I think we pretty much covered a lot of things. Yeah, we covered a lot of things. So anything else you want to talk about? We're I'm, I got time. Um Yeah. I think we have to address yet. Yeah, I think we've addressed most issues and you know, I think it is important about your book and uh you want to tell people where they can find your book and what's up next for you. Well, sure. So you can get the book really anywhere you buy books. I really recommend buying from your local bookstore if you can. If you go to IndieBound.org, you can find, if your local bookstore carries it, you can order it for them. And right now bookstores have really been suffering in COVID because people can't really go out to them. So if you can order from them, that'd be great. Um, you can also order it if you don't have a local bookstore, you don't like your local bookstore. Uh, you can also order it from the obvious places like Barnes & Noble, Target, Amazon, um, Walmart. And it's available in, this one's available in hardcover, paperback, um, and ebook for both Kindle and Nook, or a multi-user ebook you can buy directly from the publisher. There's an audio book, but the audio book is only the 2016 edition, so a lot of that information isn't updated for 2020. Yeah. Audio book. So only yeah, the 22. So you are going to hear the audio for 2020, for the new. No, I'm saying, no, I'm saying we don't. So audio book is the old is the old edition. Everything else okay. is the new edition. But you know, I, look, I, I love audio books. You know, and I I plug them a lot. <laughs> I do. I just think they're really good. So because some people really don't, you know, want to sit and read a book. But when you're, you know, driving or wherever you are, you're walking. You know, it's, the audio books are really they're valuable. I think they really I love them. You know, but a lot of people want to read the you know a book. They want to hold the book or on a Kindle. But I do like audio books, and I think you know, um, the market will grow. But, you know, but there's a, a lot of people I might, that we've talked about a lot of times on the show, they much prefer to read a book rather than listen to an audio book. But, I, you know, everybody has their own taste, which is good. I mean, you have it always, you know. And your next book uh, that you're working on is? Oh, so I have a book that's coming out next year in the fall called The Hot Mess, How the Climate Crisis is Changing Our World. It's written. It's that the publisher is now going through edits and fact-checking, and then it'll come back to me for... Um, me to look over their edits, make suggestions, make updates, add in some new data, and then it'll come out next fall. And that one will also be ebook, paperback, hardcover, maybe an audiobook, but I don't know yet. Yeah. And I've still got old, older books out. But I think with you um, going out there, hopefully you'll get better when you can go out and discuss this with, you know, people. Because I think, you know, I, I was talking about this yesterday on the show. Most people, they really do like to meet authors. They really enjoy it. So, and I hope for all the authors that have been on the show, I mean, they all are sitting with books in their house ready to go to the conferences, ready to go to, you know, their speaking engagements, and they can't go. 
So hopefully that oh. will be better soon and they can get out again. Or to do that. I, I've seen people at bookstores, I see them on, online, they are they have masks on and they're, you know, have, you know, not too many people there, but they are starting a little to do some signings, you know. Yeah, I did a signing a couple weeks ago outside um, Ottawa, Illinois, where it was an outdoor literary festival. And then I did um, just a couple school visits over Zoom. So there's still ways to do events. Yeah, yeah. Well, right now there are more, but there weren't like a few months ago. There were none. So I think you know people are looking forward to going out again. And I think we will. I think it'll be you know, and we may be wearing masks, but I think people will. They'll try to contain some of this, you know, once we do that, and once we don't have any of the spreaders, which we won't because there won't be any more. You know, um, you won't have to have rallies anymore, hopefully. So that that will that will be good. Because that will be less spreading. Right, but honestly, I don't mind doing um, school groups over Zoom. You get a whole class of students; they can ask questions. They don't have to feel like they're getting up in front of anybody to ask a question. They can just type it into Zoom or get called on, just like they would yeah. in the classroom. And yeah. you don't have to worry about the travel back and forth or getting everybody there. Like, you just do as part of normal school. Right. It's great. Yeah. So I think it's going to be good. You know, I think there's a lot of things that you know will ease up a little for people. Now, you know, and. Um, so I think we've about covered it all, and um, as you being my editor, I'm hoping to finish my book. I keep saying this, but it, this has been difficult for me to write in. And, you know, I, I'm the first to admit it, and we've talked about it a lot, and I am writing much more now, and I hope to be writing more. And um, it, it's been hard for a lot of writers to concentrate. That's very true. You know, have you had trouble concentrating? Well, it's especially hard to have to finish this book early in quarantine. So I was yeah. working on it in the spring and early summer. And that was when COVID was new and I wasn't used to working from home. And like a lot of people's day jobs, my hours got longer because I was working from home. Yeah. So it's just became a little bit harder to make that distinction between it's the end of the work day, now go write your book. Yeah, I got it done. right. I've got a couple of writing books right now. Which is great. I mean, it yeah. is good. And I'm almost done, you know, uh, I had issues doing it, and so the person that, one of the characters, he's an author that I'm writing, and he had issues doing it. So, you know, not about COVID, but just in general, rewriting and writing. So, I mean, we always need good editors like you, because you are a good editor, and um, this is what you do. So I think that, you know, I think this has been really interesting, and um, I think we should do a climate change when your book is out. That would be very interesting, because I've not had a show like that. And I think we're going to need to have shows like that. You know, um, I think people, you know, I think everybody's ready for these issues now, you know, because we're going to address them with the president we have, we're going to be having. And I think that people, you know, they voted for Joe Biden because they want, they like the issues that he wants to help. So I think that your book will be very informative. And so let's have a show as soon as it's ready, and then we'll talk about that. So I thank you so much, and uh, this has been very interesting, and I think we've covered all the points. And um, I think it's good for people to read your book, you know, right now. And, for you know, it's not – I'm telling people, no, for one thing, for presents. People, you know, books are a great gift for the holidays. So I think, you know, and especially when you know young people or young adults, and these are books that they will need to read. And they will it will help them in their classes understanding these things. So I think that's a good thing. And so these are good gifts for the holidays. 
You know, I think sometimes people forget that. But it's a good gift. That's the Boulder One app that's now available on ebook again for the first time in a while uh, called Rock in the Boat that was only print for a while. Now it's print and ebook again. But it was a Illinois Reed selection in 2017, and his biography is from Revolutionary South History. Right, I have and that picture you know, on the show page too. Right, because I, yeah. right, and you have another book also. You have one more book that's yeah, out there too. I put them. Yeah, right. praise. Yeah, yeah I have that out and also right. as a picture. You know, I mean, look, this is the other thing. Before we go, whenever people see a book and it's a few years old. It's okay to read it. You know, I think a lot of people think they always need to have the newest, latest book. But books that are written a few years ago, long time ago, so what? It's a book. That's that's the good thing about a book. You know, you can read a book and pick it up and then read it again. Or, you know, the kids, you know, like kids don't care that much about the date. They care about the topic if they're interested in it. It doesn't matter the date, you know, because it's information. So haven't you you picked up books from the past? Yes, of course. How do you feel about that? Well, again, with the the exception of there are some nonfiction books you want to take with a grain of salt if you read something too old, but the information may not be current anymore. But aside from that, most books I read are older. Yeah, I'm an older. Yeah, I mean it's right, exactly. So it doesn't matter, you know. So and and we talk about this a lot with the older movies. So what? You know, you read it, you watch a movie for a story, you know. And so I think, thank you so much for coming on, and I hope to have you come on again soon. Good luck with your book. And thank you all. And I will be on next Tuesday, but I will also be on tomorrow. Tomorrow's day. I, you know what? The dates there when doing a few shows, and then tomorrow I'll be on at nine, at nine in the morning central. So with Fran Lewis again. So everybody have a good night and take care. Thank you so much, Jeff. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. You're welcome.